Hello, everyone, and welcome to Side Dish, an IFT podcast that dishes up perspectives from multiple disciplines relating to the science of food and developing your career in a rapidly changing professional ecosystem. I'm your host, Bruce Perkin. If you were looking for a natural and more sustainable ingredient or a protein source capable of acting as a culture medium for cell-based meats, where would you turn? Today, we're diving into an ingredient that's changing the way that we provide nutrition and color foods, microalgae. Although humans have been consuming algae since ancient times, modern applications of microalgae are still steadily increasing in use. So today we're joined by Alexander Mathis, the head of the Sustainable Food Processing Laboratory at the Swiss Research University, ETH Zurich, and is also the 2020 recipient of the IFT WK Kellogg International Food Security Award and Lectureship. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks very much for having me with you today. It's great to have you here. We're really looking forward to our conversation. So to kick us off, can I ask you to tell us a little bit about your background and how you got interested in microalgae in the first place? Yeah, thanks very much. Um, so I grew up, grew up on a farm where I was very close to food production. So my grandma showed me all the food, plant-based food, but also especially animal-based food. So I think uh, that was a very intense experience. I was always very close to food and thought about it also. Yeah, that was also a bit the um, motivation to study food technology then later on in the Technical University in Berlin, where I also finalized my master and also my doctoral degree with Professor Dietrich Knorr, who is also very active at IFT. However, after the doctoral research, I felt really strongly um, the need for going to industry. I really wanted to uh, create impact in industry. And then I moved to the Nestle Research Center Lausanne in Switzerland, where I could perform bioprocessing research during my postdoctoral research there. That was in 2009. Three years later, I moved back to Germany, to the German Institute of Food Technologies, where I could build up the new bioeconomy department, which was already then um, focusing on microalgae, but also on alternative animal-based food based on insects. So we really tried to address the needs for innovative food production, alternatives to plant protein, for example, coming from single cells, but also alternatives to the existing animal-based production chains based on insects. And yeah, in 2016, it was a bit unexpected. I got a call from the ETH Zurich become the, to become the head of the sustainable food processing um, group here at ETH in Switzerland, which is a really awesome place to really continue this research on a more deeper level, but also strongly aligned and in collaboration with our Swiss uh, ecosystem around startups, but also industry players, several multinationals, and um, universities. Yeah, and that was a bit the, my pathway where I really wanted to focus then more on these aspects, especially on microalgae, what we talked today. That That's a really uh, intriguing career because you've really encapsulated a lot of alternative protein uh, work, you know, with your work on uh, insects as well. And so you've really covered the gamut. So you we're clearly... Uh, honored today to have somebody who has looked at the whole range of proteins and uh, and alternatives and has settled on the one that we want to focus on today, which is microalgae. So microalgae, really, that name tells us that these things are small. And I think most scientists would know that they're single cell organisms. So let's build on that. What else should we know about microalgae? 
and what ingredients could we get from it and what applications might we use those for? Yeah, mycoalgae is a huge group. And um, we even uh, consider cyanobacteria in the group of mycoalgae, um, where we have a lot of uh, different species. We estimate between 200,000 up to 800,000 species in nature. And only very few are used in food applications. For example, chlorella, or from the cyanobacteria group, we know spirulina, which is the um, nickname for atrosphera. They have a very high biomass conversion efficiency because of single cell systems, five till 10 times higher growth rates than conventional food crops, which are higher plants, for example. Protein contents up to 70% dry matter. That's really an awesome uh, concentration. And um, it has a good quality. It has a well-balanced amino acid profile and is in line with the WHO and FAO recommendations. On top of that, besides only macronutrient composition, we have a lot of additional nutritional benefits coming from um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, for example, omega-3 or omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids. And in comparison to other single-cell systems, for example, yeast uh, or bacteria, they have a very low nucleic acid content. That is a quite important aspect because uh, high nucleic acid contents are linked to um, health issues. Furthermore, we have high contents of antioxidants and vitamins, for example, vitamin B levels. And that is a very specific aspect of single cell technologies. They have a very low land demand. And um, nowadays, we almost use a complete arable land on our planet. So how can we increase food production? Of course, we can increase productivity per square meter, for example, using new crops, gene-modified organisms, new fertilizer systems. But that is already used or done quite a lot. So when we really want to increase significantly food production, we need to go for technologies which use a very low amount of land. And that is a single cell technology, for example. And that can also be delivered by a single cell technology. Also on non-arable land, sealed surfaces, places with uh, space constraints, urban environment, or mega cities. So the majority of people is living in cities already and much more people will live in urban environment in the future. This we know also. That that's amazing. I mean, because we're really talking about with the nutritional benefits that these single cell organisms bring. They really are the true definition of a superfood. And yet, you know, what you've told us a little bit about is they're also helping us very much to understand how to broaden our access to to great foods without needing to. Uh, to, to chop down a whole bunch more of our rainforests and use the arable lands, uh, you know, get more out of the arable lands that we already have. So I think that's a, a, a really fantastic introduction. Uh, and I guess the question that first comes to my mind is that how do we really increase the production of the ingredients from the microalgae and make the, make the production even more cost efficient and cost effective. Can we ask you to share a little bit about the progress that you're making in the area of efficiency and, and cost effectivity? Yeah, I guess that is a very important aspect because we know microalgae since thousands of years and we use it even since thousands of years. For example, spirulina is used in a lot of places in the world, but in a, in a very um, low tech uh, manner. So the 
issue with microalgae-based value chains is um, it's a, the low efficiency still, high energy consumption, and um, it's a very different value chain in comparison to our uh, other food-based value chains coming from plants or animals. Because we have here a system with a lot of water, so this liquid-solid separation, for example, takes a lot of energy. The downstream processing takes a lot of energy, and also the upstream cultivation is quite inefficient yet. And I think here we um, could um, innovate in our team um, based on emerging technologies, which is our um, competence field. And here we selected pulsed electric field processing and uh, use that technology platform for new ways of pushing algae to grow faster. Um, so here we developed um, nanosecond pulsed electric field processing, which can enhance microalgae upstream efficiency uh, so we could obtain up to 70.5% enhanced biomass yield of phototrophic chlorella vulgaris without additional needs for substrate. And here we use only a very low energy amount of 3 times 350 joule per kilogram, which is a very low energy input in comparison to other uh, techniques, for example. We can use the same technology platform in the field of microsecond pulsed electric field to have a gentle compound recovery. And even we keep the microalgae alive. We call that also milking. So we can open the cell membranes and get certain soluble fractions out of the microalgae, only in a limited amount. If we take everything out of the algae, they will die, of course. Or if we take too much energy into the system, it will also be irreversible and it will be an inactivation of the algae. But we can keep them alive and extract, for example, soluble proteins out of that, up to 20%, keeping microalgae alive. And yeah, we call that milking because that is maybe demonstrating a bit better what we mean with that. And then we also use high moisture extrusion, which is a process uh, how, where you can create meat-like structures. So we mixed soy with yellow microalgae and we could produce the world's first yellow microalgae-based meat substitute with an increased vitamin B level and also demonstrating the feasibility of using the single cell technology for meat substitutes. And I think that was really a nice innovation, which we want to also now implement in Asia and, for example, our Singapore ETH center. Wow, you've, you've covered such a lot of ground there and there's so much to unpack. It's uh, really intriguing. I was super amazed by the uh, your analogy of the milking of the um, microalgae. Are you able to tell us a little bit about how the the nanosecond pulsed electric field works to to enable you to to increase the the yield from that and how how that goes how you use that to milk the algae? So the nanosecond pulse electric field we use to uh, stimulate microalgae to grow faster. Uh, we apply it during the exponential growth phase. And then some days later, we have a significantly increased higher biomass. We still investigate the detailed mechanisms, which are most probably linked to the calcium exchange and the stress induction in the algae. But you have to apply this technique in a very small process window. And with that, you know, you can only do that when you really can nicely control that technology. That wasn't possible easily before. So our research was really contributing to the improved process control to use this very small process window. And with that, we could repeat also this biomass increase with multiple species in different experiments. Using then larger or longer pulse durations, uh, so microsecond pulse electric field processing, 
we can extract then um, soluble proteins, for example, during the cultivation or the stationary phase, for example, keeping mycoalgae alive. And with that, we suggest an alternative way and just having a serial approach where you harvest the algae, which is a very energy intense way, and then uh, disintegrate the algae, extract the proteins, for example. Here we can maybe go and combine downstream processing, pulse selective field processing, in the upstream during the cultivation and avoiding maybe the serial approach and having a continuous cultivation with a continuous cyclic extraction of valuable ingredients such as soluble proteins. And um, yeah, that I think is a great uh, different way of addressing the needs in this very specific single cell technology system where we have still this a lot of inefficiencies involved, which I mentioned before. Wow. Okay. So we'll go back to, to something else you mentioned, which is the, um, the utilization of the yellow microalgae in combination with soy and how you talked about extruding that. What levels of soy are you really talking about? I think a lot of people would be asking about what's the functionality of the yellow microalgae and, and why do you need the soy and how much soy are we really talking about? Are we we started to get into the, the realm of the soy is doing the bulk of the work and microalgae is just coming along for the ride or, or is, how's that work? That's a very good question, I think. So in, in our first feasibility, and it's from my point of view, a, a teaser, it, it should be a nucleus for really um, doing more research and development on this aspect. We mixed soy up to 50% with microalgae uh, protein concentrate up to 50%, so 50-50. Um, but that wasn't the most beneficial prototype we could produce. The best was more or less 70% of soy concentrate isolate, depending on uh, what you want to use, and 30% um, of yellow microalgae protein concentrate. And here we could produce still a meat-like texture by using high moisture extrusion. And the techno-functionality came mainly from the soy protein, which is a having a very beneficial technofunctionality to produce meat-like structures in a high moisture cooking process. But the microalgae could um, demonstrate that we can increase significantly the nutritional value here because we had um, um, the uh, micronutrients also from the microalgae protein concentrate contributing here. Um, that was, for example, significantly increase of vitamin B level and vitamin E levels. Even after high moisture extrusion cooking, these levels were um, still um, relevant and we just lost 10 to 20% of the vitamin concentrations during the quite intense thermal mechanical uh, process in the high moisture extrusion cooking. So I think here we demonstrated the feasibility using microalgae to a significant amount, up to 30%. But I believe we can even go further. We just need to better understand the techno-functionalities of microalgae protein and protein fractions. And here we also continue, for example, research by using rheology and also um, different, um, um, different investigations of the techno-functionality and mechanisms of microalgae proteins and their fractions in the later application. Right. So, so you clearly talked about there the uh, aspect of the microalgae adding a lot of micronutrients to to the matrix so what other aspects of microalgae will allow us to replace 
other ingredients that are currently on the market are being used for uh, protein source for uh, uh, alternative um, protein replacements. What other functionality is the microalgae adding other than just the micronutrients? Also, a very important question. First of all, I want to say our microalgae meat substitute study was using only one um, protein concentrate from one species. And again, we have up to 200,000 or even 800,000 species estimated available. And only, you know, maybe 10 are considered for food production currently. And that is, um, you know, we didn't use the full potential of this huge source yet, by far not. On top of that, we have a significant uh, uh, relevant uh, protein concentrations uh, available. So here we have the um, complete amino acid profile. And soy protein has very um, important technofunctionalities to produce in an existing, established, high-moisture extrusion cooking process meat-like uh, textures. But, you know, we need to better understand and characterize the microalgae protein. And um, we believe that we can also get these technofunctionalities from microalgae proteins, maybe from two species or from one specific species, which we need to better characterize um, in the future. But so far, I think the um, technofunctionalities are limited, at least from our chlorella and oxanachlorella investigations. But um, these um, protein technofunctionalities can be adapted by pre-processing or by using different species. And then we have the broad portfolio of other um, macronutrients, for example, the lipids, which are already used in, in industry. Polyunsaturated fatty acids are a very important source for a healthy nutrition. They are linked to accepted health benefits. And um, these claims are accepted by EFSA and also by uh, a lot of other authorities. We have here up to 30% lipids in microalgae, so a lipid-rich microalgae, um, which needs to be specifically cultivated, for example. And then we have here also um, proven health benefits, for example, the reduced mortality by the prevention of cardiovascular diseases, benefits for asthma, reduced inflammation, and reduced colorectal cancer cell proliferation. So that's just some of uh, the um, health benefits which are already um, proven in literature. And I believe we are just at the beginning of understanding this huge biological source. And here we can really um, get um, much more interesting insights if we continue our research and development in strong collaboration with industry, because we need to bring these innovations also in a very fast manner into the market from my point of view. So you said something that was incredibly thought-provoking in amongst that, that, that response you just gave me, which is that you referenced the around about 200,000 different species of microalgae, which raises the question about the potential for yet-to-be-discovered ingredients and novel aspects of these microalgae that we don't even know about at the moment. What's your view of of what the potential is in this environment? I think the potential is huge. Um, and um, I also believe we should use the best microalgae for our specific case. And the food industry and food products are so diverse. So we have so different needs. We have regional needs for also consumers have very different re uh, needs in different regions. And then we should use the best microalgae. Currently we use just mainly, I think, Spirulina, so Atrosphera, cyanobacteria, or Chlorella. Um, now we go more for Oxena Chlorella 
or for uh, some others now. But that's just very few. So maybe we can really um, uh, define the key performance indicators for our specific case and then um, go to a high throughput screening and these systems exist and um, go to the strain collection uh, uh, databases and uh, strain collection um, institutes and then really look for the best ILG. But of course, that needs also a safety assessment and also strong alignment with regulatory uh, um, bodies that we can really get the okay to really implement these new sources. And that takes normally also some years in general. However, I still believe at one day we need to start. So let's um, not go always for the same microalgae species. Let's explore also some new one. Interesting. So, so I, while I was reading about the microalgae to to ed- educate myself a little bit before we started to have this conversation, <laughs> one of the things I came across was that uh, it's been estimated that currently microalgae produce around half the atmospheric oxygen. And of course, in the production of atmospheric oxygen, they're also consuming carbon dioxide. What role do you see for the potential environmental impact of commercializing the production of uh, microalgae? Yeah, that is also a very good point because that gets a lot of attraction that they accumulate CO2. But we have to be specific here. They accumulate uh, carbon dioxide if we grow them in photoautotrophic growth modes partially in mixotrophic growth modes. And then there is a third one we call that heterotrophic growth mode where we can, for example, produce um, very bright yellow microalgae in the dark using carbon as um, uh, energy and um, carbon source. So we, for the photoautotrophic growth mode, which is more or less the most n- known growth mode for microalgae, and when people think about microalgae, they think about the green uh, single cells uh, in open pond systems, for example, on photobioreactors, um, the, up, the, the total carbon dioxide balance is not beneficial because we use too much energy and the energy is linked to greenhouse gas emissions. If we use a complete clean energy source during the full production, I believe it's possible to have a beneficial ratio and a beneficial um, net balance. But so far, our energy production is linked to greenhouse gas emissions and our activities are also linked to greenhouse gas emissions. And then the total balance is not beneficial. So why it's not beneficial? We we produce too low concentrations of microalgae uh, before harvesting with phototrophic growth um, because um, of the light penetration limits in the higher concentrations. So say normally up to 20 grams per liter, that is the absolute max. With mixotrophic or heterotrophic growth modes, we can um, have up to five times higher concentrations, let's say four to five times higher concentrations. And that is reducing significantly the energy consumption during the downstream processing. So harvesting, disintegration, extraction, preparation, and so on, because we don't need to separate so much water. So it depends uh, how you see it. Um, I think the potential there But um, in general, I believe we can compensate a lot environmental damages with the use of clean energy. So a lot of new sources need more energy and they have less environmental damage maybe than the existing value chains. But then they are only beneficial if they come from absolutely renewable energy and especially clean energy sources without any additional greenhouse gas emissions. Hmm. So 
We often use a scientist's patents and publications as a, as a leading indicator of future trends. Can you tell us a little bit about the major areas of research that focus on the use of microalgae today? What, what is the literature telling us about where this is all going? It's a huge field, and um, I can't uh, maybe uh, summarize uh, the, the core directions, but I think... Um, what is currently really um, a focus area, also in our team, that's the nutritional aspects, the um, potential health impacts. And here we talk about not only the nutritional content of microalgae, which we can easily analyze in a, in a laboratory, we talk about bioaccessibility, bioavailability, and bioactivity, finally, in the cell or in the body. And that is, um, you know, there is still so much work needed, not only for microalgae, I, I think in general for the whole human nutrition field, we, we, we need to really have much more data, which then also can be used for our advanced sustainability assessment, where we not only assess the environmental sustainability of value chains, but also the social sustainability, which includes nutrition and health. Another focus area that I've seen, of course, is the production efficiency in the upstream during cultivation, using new species, which are, for example, um, which need less technology, which are more robust, maybe species from extreme environment, extremophiles called. And um, we focus also a lot on uh, emerging technologies such as pulse electric field processing to um, have a more beneficial um, energy consumption through the value chain, where we, for example, have very energy intense, intense harvesting, liquid solid separation, disintegration and extraction uh, processes currently. So that's just some of them, but um, I think uh, a lot uh, information from recent patent submission is still not visible for us. In the first 12 months, we don't see that. And um, I, I believe there will be a, a strong push of this topic because I've seen a lot of interest, especially on conferences where you can grasp already a bit the increasing interest of uh, industry, but also academia on this topic. So you covered a lot of ground today, and the uh, and clearly you've given us lots of food for thought as to why we ought to be interested as scientists in uh, microalgae and increasing its production efficiency and extracting um, valuable bionutrients from uh, from this uh, single cell organism. But I think there's the other side of this is the utilization of the products from from all of this work. And that takes us to uh, consumer aspects. So what do you think it will take to make sure that consumer interest in this ingredients gets caught up with where we're at as scientists? Yeah, that is a, a very important um, point because um, I believe as a scientist, I, I have only impact if I can motivate others to take up that idea that we are transferring our idea into society. And that is, for example, also uh, the implementation of these ideas into final products. With it. And here we collaborate a lot with the food industry, with the Swiss food industry, but also the international food industry. And I think it's really needed to take consumers on board in the very early stage. So um, therefore, we have, for example, strong collaborations with our consumer behavior group here at ETH Zurich. So I think consumers need to understand microalgae. That is very important. In general, we do the kitchen test. So if consumers can find it in the kitchen, then it's normally easy. 
but uh, I'm not sure whether you find easily an algae in your kitchen. <laughs> not in my kitchen, I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, th I still believe consumers know what an algae is. Um, uh, in my, and um, here we need to um, get them on board into, uh, in our scientific projects, but also into our impl impl implementation projects. Um, start the uh, discussion, the exchange, and also ask them, what do you expect from such a source? We can produce more nutritional, more quality foods uh, with that ingredient and convince, I think the, the core aspect is convincing them with awesome products, with awesome taste, with awesome texture. I think um, on top, we can say, hey, this is a source which needs very low amount of land. We don't need to deforest our rainforest. We can deliver excellent nutrients to you. But I think the core aspect, it has to be awesome taste. Otherwise, we won't have success. And of course, also that is also one direction of our team. The dark green color of photoautotrophic microalgae is a hurdle. If you want to have a final green product, absolutely fine. But the majority of our food is not dark green. If you deliver food ingredients to the industry, Normally, you deliver bright ingredients that the food industry finally is flexible. Our startups are flexible to produce a lot of different products out of that with different organoleptic properties because it's just one of several ingredients. And that's why we go for currently for bright yellow microalgae using mixotrophic and heterotrophic cultivation and try to get consumers on board with our first prototypes where we use, for example, natural flavors and aromas with our spin-offs prepare nice samples for tasting and i think yeah if the taste is awesome i guess then you already made the first important step yeah i mean i think i absolutely agree with you if we can get uh, some byproducts here which uh, tap into mainstream consumer acceptance by having fantastic taste and and uh, products that consumers are already bought into uh, I think we're a long way down the path. There is the other element, of course, of uh, the long history of uh, human consumption of, of algae that goes back in, in ancient times. Is there anything in that that would help us educate consumers about the accessibility and the uh, acceptability of, of uh, foods derived from algae? Yeah, I believe we should make a story as usual. Um, we should uh, tell a story that helps. And uh, we should tell a story people understand. Um, so a story for non-scientists. Um, that, wa that was my um, comment on we need to get them on board in the early beginning. Um, and I think um, a good test is talking about my research with my neighbors, with my family, and um, also with my kids. And when they are happy, then I always feel a bit more comfortable that I go in the right direction. But we should definitely use that very important aspect that microalgae are used in human consumption since uh, ages. I, I really like the idea or the concept of using stories to help convince consumers. And, and clearly this morning, uh, you've given us a really wonderful story of the future and the potential of this ingredient. So Thank you very much, Alex, for your time today and all of your insights. We really do appreciate it. It's been fascinating. I've learned a lot and um, I look forward to uh, seeing your products come onto the marketplace uh, sooner rather than later. And thank you also to our listeners. If you're enjoying Side Dish, 
please let us know by leaving a review on iTunes or by connecting with IFT. You can find us at IFT on Twitter and by searching the Institute of Food Technologists on Facebook and or LinkedIn. For more on this subject, be sure to visit our website at ift.org and type in the subject into the search box to gain access to a ton of resources. Thank you for listening to Side Dish today. I'm your host, Bruce Perkham, and have a great day, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.